Hello, and welcome to Covered Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was written by Ken Kesey and published in 1962. And the film adaptation was directed by Milos Foreman and was released in 1975. And this is one of those interesting cases where the movie, I'd say, has completely overshadowed the book. Yeah, and that's kind of why we we picked it. We wanted to pick an adaptation where the book, and this is by no means like a forgotten book. No, no. But the movie definitely has, I think, lasted longer than the book has. And yeah. has built up more acclaim and more fame. And people are more familiar with the book, rather. Or the <laughs> people are more <laughs> familiar with the movie rather than the book, mostly because I think of Jack Nicholson's performance. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of the... It's it's one of only three movies to win the top five Academy oh, Awards yeah. uh, for Best Film, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and then Best Actor and An Best Actress. actress. Yeah. Uh, so it really... I mean, and critically, it did well too you know a lot of people saw it uh apparently in a cinema in sweden i think it was uh-huh. they played it for like 12 years oh my god like, that's how <laughs> often people it's a record that's how often people went and saw it that's amazing yeah uh we should start off with a confession though yeah <laughs> uh we've talked it previous in a previous episode about uh how we tried to do the podcast and for a while we tried to read the book and watch the movie and not talk about it at all. Yeah, and have the our dis- our podcast discussion be like really fresh so we hadn't we hadn't discussed it beforehand, so we would the conversation would just be really spontaneous. Yeah. Uh since then we have adjusted that a little bit. We talk yeah. about it a little bit mm-hmm. uh just to kind of get an outline and everything figured out. Yeah. For this book though, <laughs> almost immediately oh my God. After reading like the first couple chapters one night, I just went up to Adina and I was like, I have to talk about this. Yeah, it's <laughs> impossible to not talk about this book. And I feel like we've talked about it so much just because there's so much to discuss. Um, so much. Yeah, there's been so many like late night discussions and I know <laughs> sorting things out and trying to figure it's been really interesting. It has I've been. enjoyed reading it from a uh intellectual yeah like to analyze it and compare and contrast wouldn't quite say that i enjoyed the experience no (laughs) (laughs) and this was another one that i listened to an audiobook Mm -hmm. and it was i don't know when the audio book was recorded uh it's very dated though in a way i think in the 90s yeah the guy who recorded it is very theatrical over I, the top. I, I did get used to it. Yeah. Uh, but for a while, it was totally taking me out of the story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we have talked about this a lot. So if we sound, like, familiar with each other's opinions on it, mm-hmm. uh, that's why. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone, a lot of people have at least seen the movie or are familiar with the story and uh, the setup of it. You mm-hmm. know, it takes place in this you know, an insane asylum, state-run insane asylum, and there are a bunch of patients there, and this kind of rogue, nonconformist, uh, kind of rough-and-tough guy kind of comes into that situation and shakes things up a bit. And, of course, this character is Big Murphy, who is played by Jack Nicholson. Yeah, uh, he 
was arrested and was on a, a work farm. Yeah. I think that's what they call them. Mm-hmm. And to kind of get out of the manual labor of his six month sentence, he uh, pretended to be insane. Yeah. So that he would get put in this institute. Uh, and a lot happens because of it. Yeah. And it's not quite what he thought it would be. No. And, you know, that's kind of what propels our story. So it starts off with him arriving. Uh, and there's quite a large cast of characters yeah. in this story, specifically mm-hmm. the uh, the patients. Um, and some play a larger role than others. Yeah. Whether it's the book or the movie, there's mm-hmm. kind of a shift between characters. Yeah. Uh, but most of the characters are carried over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his background, McMurphy's background is, like, he has a lot of arrests, you know, he gets into a lot of fights. He's sort of this manly man that... Yeah, he kind of represents, like, untamed American masculinity. Yeah. (laughs) And the book is not subtle at all about how it tries to portray and convey, like, what he represents and the system of oppression... Uh, that the an individuality yeah, yeah. that the uh, the psych ward represents mm-hmm. uh, it's a very on the nose kind of story and narration yeah and so his arrival on the ward you know things have been the same there for a long time or you're led to believe that and so he he definitely shakes things up and the main narrator in the book is Chief Bromden who is a half Native American uh giant guy who's been on the ward for like 20 years or something like that and he's narrating the story but everyone thinks that he's deaf and dumb he just but instead he's just pretending to be that way so they can't mess with him or something yeah uh if you if you've seen the movie you're familiar with his character he's still in the movie Mm -hmm. uh the book though is from his perspective yeah and it is interesting because he's this kind of he's like a non-character yeah in a lot of ways in that because he pretends to be deaf and dumb Mm -hmm. he doesn't really interact with anyone no he's kind of watching everything happen Mm -hmm. and he since people think he's deaf and dumb they let him kind of listen in on conversations and he gets close to situations where he wouldn't know that stuff otherwise and people wouldn't talk about those things in front of him. It's a bit of a convenience how he is able to, uh, for example, they let him, he's constantly sweeping, like they let him sweep and clean up Mm -hmm. and they let him sweep and clean up in... Private doctor, nurses meetings. Yeah, which is why would you have someone cleaning in the middle of a meeting. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a little, it's a little odd. A little inconvenient, a little convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um... So his perspective is interesting and in how he's able to kind of experience uh, the story. And he's kind of an unreliable narrator, yeah. which is interesting for the 60s to have this. Um, you know, he's been on the ward for 20 years. And if he wasn't mentally ill to begin with, he is definitely experiencing, you know, some mental problems now just for the reason of being there for 20 years and not talking to anyone for that whole time and they also mentioned that he's had a lot of trauma from war as well um so just that perspective is so interesting and different you Mm -hmm. know to have it from someone who is mentally ill and is suffering yeah and it's interesting when we were talking about it because a lot of our problems with the story yeah we had discussions about is is our problem with this narrative 
could it possibly be his skewed perspective on things yeah. as the narrator? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just the way he's seeing the world. Uh, I think as we talked about it and as the story progressed, we couldn't rule out no. Yeah. Uh, because of certain uh, reasons we'll probably get into, but it is an interesting aspect uh, to discuss uh, the lens that this story is viewed through. Yeah. Um, obviously an important character to the story is Nurse Ratched. And she is in control of the ward and basically rules the asylum with her steely will (laughs) and control. And, you know, everything has to go exactly as she wants it to. It's very orderly, routine, etc. And this is where the conflict comes into place. McMurphy is like a force to be reckoned with. And... Miss Rat or Mrs. Ratchet is Nurse Ratchet <laughs> is the same way. Yeah, and they're kind of very much these opposing forces yeah. in the story. And the book is very clear about putting her in the wrong and in this as like, a villain. Yeah. yeah, and this oppressor mm-hmm. of the uh, people, the patients on the floor. Whereas the movie, I think, is very interesting. It's a very since it's not through the perspective of the chief. Yeah, or. Uh, anyone else it's kind of a very straightforward representation mm-hmm. of what happens it opens it, it up and lets us the viewer kind of see and make our own opinions about things yeah. or it feels like we can more it's, it's much more open-ended yeah which is interesting instead of bromden just telling us oh and nurse wretched was basically an evil monster yeah <laughs> yeah uh so the first thing that came up in this story. Yeah, this is like page one. <laughs> I'm not I, even kidding. Yeah, that I was like, we really need to talk about this now, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's the first ism we've run into in the story. Yeah. Racism. Racism. So the setup is that, uh, you know, Nurse Ratchet is the head of this uh, psych unit. Mm-hmm. And she has orderlies, I think like three or four of them. Yeah. Who she's hired, who are underneath her. And they are all black men. Mm-hmm. and Which is not unique no. or racist in itself, you know, during that time in the 60s and 70s. Um, it seems that like would a be the type job. of job that would be given to African-Americans because, you know, they were seen as lower and they would do kind of these lower position jobs anyway. And the movie is the same setup. You yeah. Know, it's, it's black men who are the orderlies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the description, though, and the characterization of these black men is really uh, just flat out racist yeah, and kind of disturbing. Disturbing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they describe them as like that they're all full of hate and that Nurse Ratched hired them because they were hateful and she was going to show them how to hate even more. I'm just like, what? Uh, yeah, their <laughs> physical features, yeah. like their blackness is constantly talked about. Yeah. He, Chief Bromden says how she... Uh, Nurse Ratched found out that the blacker the person, usually the more willing they are to do certain jobs. Yeah, or uh, to hate more. Yeah. You know? and, and you're like, what is that? I don't, what are you saying? Yeah, uh, and he describes their physical features in really uh, offensive ways. Yeah. One example is he talks about uh, their hair. Yeah. Which he describes as uh, raspy, I think. Yeah, it says, uh, if you brush against their hair, it rasps the hide right off you. So, you know, referencing their kinky hair and that it would be like hard and rasp against you. And I'm just like, no, stop. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, well, and it started off with... Uh, they're constantly referred to as the black boys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, you Full know, full grown men, though. <laughs> yeah. Which at first I was like, okay, 
keep in mind this is the 60s, the 60s. early 60s. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to be politically correct to today's standards. Like yeah. I'm, I'm willing to kind of like give over, it some leeway, give it some leeway, and overlook that. But then it gets into what we were just talking about in the descriptions, and mm-hmm. I'm like, this is just kidding, way too much. It's, yeah, it's beyond I think what even was maybe socially acceptable. I don't know. It's tough to say back then. Yeah, since we didn't live during that time. But, I mean, I just think it's interesting to point out because we've been reading a lot of criticism and analysis of this book and the movie. Yeah. And hardly anyone talks about the racism in the book. And that's kind of shocking to me, you know? Yeah. Like, we can look at it and say, yeah, it was written in the 60s. That might be why this is in there. But to not acknowledge it at all and to just pretend like that doesn't, that's not in the book, you know? Like that. Yeah. And we'll talk about it a little more later. But it kind of destroys the core message of the book in a way Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so this was like the first hint at kind of what we were getting what we were our struggles with this book yeah (laughs) yeah like first page I started reading this and I was like oh man I don't know if I can keep reading this book like I told Ian like I don't know if I can finish this like if it's gonna be like this throughout like this is might be too much and I was thinking about do I want to keep reading or what um but luckily that kind of drops off it's more apparent at the beginning they talk about the black boys a lot and then they sort of fall out of the story a little bit yeah they're still referred to that yeah continuously as the black boys but that's Mm -hmm. kind of as far as it goes after that so we were able to kind of like just put that in the back of our minds a little bit yeah uh so mcmurphy his character arrives in the ward and it's interesting because in the book, he becomes so symbolic. Yeah. He's like, not really a person. He's no. just an idea. Like we were saying, he's kind of this uh, unruly American masculinity. Yeah. And he's shocked by uh, the way the men behave in mm-hmm. the ward when he gets there. Yeah. And they're just so easily controlled and they're not masculine or enough or strong enough. They're seen as weak, you know, and he sort of becomes this symbol to them of what they can be and what they should be and what a man should be. There's a lot Mm -hmm. about what is the ideal man and what men should be like and the way that they should act. Yeah. So one of the uh, factors that feeds into this too is what he's in jail for to begin with. Oh, yeah. Which they kept in the movie, and it's interesting the difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's in there for statutory rape. Yeah. Uh, He slept with a 15-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, she said she was 18. Yeah. Fucking okay. Okay. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting because in the book, they talk about this kind of in a group setting. Yeah. And McMurphy, he's a very... He's kind of more jovial yeah. in the book and kind of gets people to laugh. Mm-hmm. And he kind of turns it into this whole shtick where he's like joking about it and says, uh, oh, man, if I had waited around till she was 16, she would have like burnt me out completely. And like he gets everyone laughing about yeah, it. Yeah. And, and like, it's really I had disturbing. to sew my pants shut and yeah, she it, was after me. And then I had to like run out of town because the town wanted to like grab me. And <laughs> yeah. And it's. Everyone has a good laugh over it. Yeah. Uh, now, it's interesting, though, because in the movie, a lot of this is the s- similar dialogue. Yeah. Except the setting is uh, Jack Nicholson or McMurphy talking to a, a psychologist directly. Yeah. 
who's kind of evaluating him when he yeah. first comes in. He's like, it says this happened in your file. And, and Nicholson does go on about it. Yeah. But clearly the psychologist is like concerned about this and yeah. kind of, okay, like your perspective on this is kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least you're getting that, you know, that clarification that this isn't cool. Like not everyone's like, okay, with we this. shouldn't laugh at this. No, it yeah. still makes him a, a, comp- a kind of a messed up, complicated character. Yeah. But at least it's not like, this overarching everyone is okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone said it was fine. And everyone gave him a pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, and in the book, it's super interesting because um, Chief Bromden is always talking about the Combine, and mm-hmm. it took me a while to figure out what the heck he was even talking about. I was just like, what? Yeah, just talking about how, like, in normal society, the uh, the people who are wrong or off get Mm -hmm. like sorted out and kind of like removed from everyone else and like put into the asylum. Yeah. It's a very paranoid kind of ideology. Chief Bromden believes that the combine is like the forces of the government, people of the hospital Mm -hmm. society in general, kind of trying to control people and put them into these little boxes, put them into these perfect little suburban homes and, Anyone who doesn't want to conform to that ideology gets sent to the mental ward. So he's always going on about how the Combine is conspiring and is listening to them. It's very paranoid, and part of that could be his mental illness um, kind of manifesting itself in that paranoia. But you, you also know that Ken Kesey was kind of like, the government, like, <laughs> society, break free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because Chief Bromden almost has, like, schizophrenic yeah. delusions. He mm-hmm. talks about everything in the asylum being wired. Yes. That the pills they're given have, like, microchips in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, once again, goes back to that, him being kind of unreliable as a narrator. Yeah, and those are classic signs of schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. But it's also the kind of this, like beating you over the head with the message of the book and the metaphor of society being this huge machine and kind of people getting chewed up and spit out by it. This is like an early version of the matrix. Yeah, it is. (laughs) uh, And it's interesting. uh, Ken Kesey, the author kind of had this perspective that people who were crazy or insane, they kind of have this, uh, they see the truth of things. Mm-hmm. They kind of see past the illusion. Once again, kind of a matrix the kind of, of idea. The matrix. Yeah. yeah. And Chief Bromden has like these kind of insane dreams where the floor of the asylum like falls away, s- sinks mm-hmm. down like an elevator, and suddenly he's in this factory where it's like a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Machines yeah. and so it kind of makes sense because the general concept of the book is that it's supposed to be that these guys are ordinary and they're being oppressed and put into this system Mm -hmm. and if you're a normal reader like we are you're kind of like well they're not stable or able to some of them are could maybe live in society Mm -hmm. but a lot of them either they suffer from seizures or Mm -hmm. they're violent or there's serious issues with them but if you have ken kesey's perspective that they kind of have a deeper understanding of the world yeah yeah you kind of i guess understand what he's trying to get at with his metaphor in this story. And they imply that McMurphy, because he's sort of this rough and 
devil may care type of guy that has moved around all the time. Like he's sort of escaped the clutches of the combine and they haven't been able to put him into their box. And maybe that's why he ended up at the asylum. Yeah. Um, maybe it's the workings of the combine. Um, so yeah, let's, you want to talk about Ken Kesey? <laughs> oh, I don't want to, but we should. <laughs> uh, I was really surprised to read about him because I knew nothing about this author or really much about the book in general. But Ken Kesey was a uh, really a character for sure. Yeah. He so I find out that he worked on a, a mental ward as kind of like a night aide. In a veteran's um, hospital. At a veteran's hospital, yeah, but it, they were mentally ill. And so he kind of got ideas for his book from the, from his shifts there. And, he, you know, he would talk to patients and um, kind of figured out what was going on with them. And that gave him ideas for his book. What I didn't know and what was interesting to find out is that during this time, he was also super high on LSD. <laughs> he, he signed up for, I forget there's a name for this project oh yeah the cia mk ultra yeah so the cia Mm -hmm. uh it's well known now and has been written about uh the cia did experiments in the 60s uh by giving mind-altering drugs uh most notably lsd to people uh i think at first just to kind of see what would happen i think they wanted to see like would this open up their mind or expand it? And then once they realized what it did, they tried to see if they could break people down by giving yeah. them LSD. And to use it as like a mind control mm-hmm. or like to get people to reveal turn spies or something to your side. It was like very, very conspiracy-ish. Yeah. And super weird that it actually happened. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is like Stranger Things, like the plot of Stranger Things, but it's real life, you know? Pretty much. <laughs> And uh, Ken Kesey signed up for it. Yeah, he volunteered for the trials. This was like when you actually signed up for it, they were like, yeah, we're just testing this drug. Take it. And you're like, okay. And you you don't know. You had no idea what it was, what it was doing. Yeah. And they'd put them in uh, sensory deprivation tanks, I believe, Uh on LSD. Yeah. And just let their mind explode collapse on itself yeah (laughs) yeah but uh ken kesey really took to the lsd uh he loved it he kind of saw it as this way and a lot of people during this time saw it as a way to open your mind and see the the real universe in the world and kind of go beyond our frail human bodies and have this spiritual mind-bending experience so you know after he was volunteering with the trials he kind of formed this group uh commune type living style where it was just a bunch of people they formed this group called the merry pranksters and they would just have these parties where they would all get high on lsd and they would trip and you know there was the grateful dead was there like they were really heavily involved so there was music artists like it was this big gathering Mm -hmm. i think they called them acid tests the parties yeah and so Ken Kesey, so you can tell how influential LSD was on this book. On this book, because the the parts that the chief is just tripping balls. Yeah, he's definitely <laughs> on acid. Like it's it's probably the exact experience of being on LSD. Like he talks about you know that scene with the combine and. He kind of descends into that machinery like that is such a trip. You know, they they frame frame it as a dream sequence, but he's obviously hallucinating. 
And then there's another scene too with like him rolling into a fog. Yeah. And then people, patients are like appearing out of the fog and being <laughs> like, ooh. And then they like disappear into the fog again. They're really long scenes. Long too, scenes. I didn't even read it. Like, I'm so thankful I listened to this on audiobook where a narrator was just pouring this story into my ears and I could kind of just like go with it. I could not push myself to fi- actually read this, I don't think. I, d- I read it, yeah. I have so much respect for you for especially for those parts yeah they just went on for a really long time and they didn't really have a purpose in the book besides being like oh and the ward is being controlled by nurse ratchet and the combine and she's causing all this to happen i mean the only purpose they serve is to further hammer this idea that you know it's a system. They're yeah. in the system mm-hmm. and they're being controlled. Yeah. And you get it pretty quickly, but yeah. it just keeps going. And he talks about how, you know, Nurse Ratchet would control the fog that would roll in. Like he describes it as literal fog coming into the ward and um, clouding everyone's vision. So they're trapped there. And he also talks about her like making time go slower, making the clock like only move mm-hmm. a few seconds, like after hours and hours. And, you know, it's just, it's like, <laughs> it's a little much. It's, it's a lot much. <laughs> it's a lot much. Uh, and this is the biggest divergence from the the movie is this Yeah, they don't include any of that Paranoid, stuff. like trippy aspect, mm-hmm. whereas the movie is just a very straightforward telling of the actual events of the story. Yeah, and the, the movie is showing you that there can be like corruption or things can be going on in, in this mental asylum that are not right, you mm-hmm. know, and showing that, you know, maybe these men shouldn't be here and, you know, society has made them feel like they're crazy or they're, they're ashamed of like, you know, themselves and who they are. Um, but it definitely leaves out that like government conspiracy combine trippy, like Mm -hmm. that stuff, which I think is, is good. I honestly don't know how they could even do that in a movie without just being terrible. Yeah, and Ken Kesey was super mad when yeah. they did the movie, and they did it from uh, McMurphy's perspective instead of the Chiefs. But yeah, it's so it makes so much sense because McMurphy is the new person into this world, yeah. as the audience would be. Like mm-hmm. people don't so know you're it. entering with him into yeah. this world. You're yeah. the character. He's the character you're following into this, uh, into this place in this setting. Mm-hmm. If you did the Chief, it would just be. I don't, you couldn't do it. You just, no, he just, and he stands there and sweeps. So like, it would just be him standing there and sweeping and watching other things happen, which would be pretty boring for an audience, I think. Yeah. So getting back to the the plot of the story, McMurphy kind of sees himself as uh, the guy that's going to help these patients sort of get their groove back, I guess, you know? <laughs> um, so he's he makes a bet with them that he can get Nurse Ratchet to kind of crack You know, he's like, I can get to her. She seems like she's so in control, but I can get to her. And so this begins the confrontation, this standoff between them, where they have these little skirmishes of wills, battle of wills uh, between them. And the patients are sort of like caught up in it, like not knowing exactly where to fall and how it's going to play out. And I think the most, one of the most important scenes with that is when uh, McMurphy wants them to watch the World Series instead of doing their daily routine. Yeah, and so, he, and they have to move their TV schedule time yeah. uh, to watch it. And so, 
he asks about that and Nurse Ratched is like, well, we all have to vote on it. Uh-huh. And and she says, and this is one of those things where Nurse Ratched is like kind of in the right a little bit. She's yeah. like, uh, a lot of these patients need this uh, routine need routine like mm-hmm. it's very important to them to have routine if they don't it really affects them yeah but we can take a vote on it and so they vote and all of the well there's two groups in in the asylum yeah. they call them the chronics and the acutes mm-hmm. uh, the chronics are basically vegetables uh, vegetables mm-hmm. you know what, we, what we'd call vegetables who you know aren't interactive at all can't you know connect with anyone and then the acutes are uh, the main characters who, uh, you know, can hold conversations and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so all the acutes vote for to watch the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nurse Ratched is like, well, that's only nine out of 18 of you. Mm-hmm. That's only half. You need a, a majority. And it's kind of this shitty move on yeah. her part. Where he got all the votes of the people that really could vote. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, there has to be a majority, even from the, the guys that don't even know what's happening and can barely think if they can at all. Yeah. So uh, it's this great scene, especially in the movie, yeah. where McMurphy starts running up to all the chronics and is trying to get one of them to raise their hand. And to agree for the series. And yeah. he's just talking to them and they're clearly not even understanding or getting anything he's saying. Yeah. And it's just him running from one person to the other. And eventually Nurse Ratchet is like, okay, the meeting and the vote are done. Mm-hmm. And... Finally, uh, McMurphy comes up to the chief mm-hmm. and who everyone still thinks is deaf and dumb. Yeah. And he is telling him like, oh, don't you want to watch baseball? The World Series like, you know, once once a year, it's so important. And he finally gets the chief raises his hand. Yeah. And the nurse is like, we the vote is done. You know, you lost. You didn't get it. Yeah. So. McMurphy's super pissed about this mm-hmm. and he sits down in front of the TV. The the blunt it's turned off and he can't turn it on or do anything. Yeah. And then it seems like Nurse Ratchet has won this around and everything. And then he starts and the movie version is so great. I think in the book he just starts talking to the guys. Yeah, or just sits there and watches it, mm-hmm. blank, and, even though it's blank. Yeah, and telling them stories. It's like and a stuff. silent protest. Yeah, they all kind of like drop their chores and sit uh-huh. in front of the TV. Uh, the the movie though is this great scene with Jack Nicholson where he starts narrating a baseball game like he's an announcer yeah like yeah. he's an announcer and the, the obviously the screens off and at first all the acutes start like what what's going on they're like legitimately confused uh-huh. as to if he's knows something or he's actually watching it and he just gets everyone super riled up about this baseball game that isn't happening yeah and it's this great tug of war for power between nurse ratchet yeah because she because she won but he's still not letting her be in control yeah that that fight you know he's like you won that but i'm gonna get all these guys to sit here and kind of protest it anyway Mm -hmm. it's a great scene of their struggle for power i think probably the best representation in the movie yeah of that struggle and one of the most iconic scenes in the movie i Mm -hmm. think yeah and he so then he gets the group to go on a, a boating trip. And it's interesting because in the book, he has it planned out and they all sign up for it. And one of the doctors actually goes along with them for like supervision and they plan this whole boating trip. And uh, in the movie, it's a little bit different. Um, he sort of like escapes and jumps on a bus with them and they all like go onto this boat. And then, you know, the police are waiting when they get back. It's this whole thing. Yeah. The boating trip scene is just 
so enjoyable. It is. Yeah. You're from, finally out of the mental ward. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets in the book. He tells Nurse Ratched that one of his aunts wants to come to yeah. like help supervise everyone. Yeah. And it ends up being just a prostitute who he knows named Candy. Candy. Uh, and in the book, in the movie, she also comes along. They just swing the bus by where she lives and he picks her up. Yeah. Uh, so it's all these mental patients and Candy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of our introduction. She comes back later. Uh, and Billy who's one of the patients. Yeah, who has a stuttering problem. Yeah, and he's younger. Uh, not super young, but mm-hmm. he kind of takes... A his... young attitude. He seems like young yeah. and naive. He's very uh, kind of stunted in his maturity. Yeah. Uh, but he really likes Candy, mm-hmm. and they kind of get like... They try to get them together a little bit. A rapport going, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, my God, the movie scene is just... it's. There's so many things going on, and it's so yeah. funny between them trying to fish. They're trying to get somebody. One person is trying to steer the boat, but he's a little crazy. And yeah, uh, uh, oh my gosh, what's why am I blanking on his name? The guy we like so much, Cheswick. Cheswick. Yeah, uh, Cheswick is trying to like steer the boat. Yeah, he's and, getting distracted though. And then Harding's fighting for it for control for the boat. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Danny DeVito's character, mm-hmm. uh, Martini. Martini is trying to reel in this huge fish that they're running around. Yeah. It's one of the the most enjoyable scenes of mm-hmm. the movie, and it's just great to get out of the asylum. Yeah, and it's definitely seen as this opportunity for the men to kind of reclaim their masculinity, masculinity a little bit because mm-hmm. they're, you know, going out to sea and fishing and, you know, getting out of the ward and experiencing life and getting to kind of feel a sense of accomplishment. Like we caught this fish and we steered the boat and we did this mm-hmm. thing and we're capable of doing something outside of the insane asylum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Jack Nicholson has a line, I think, where he's like, you're not crazy. You're fishermen now. And yeah. And that's kind of what it is about. They're kind of and it's it's cool because in the book and the movie, Jack Nicholson kind of takes a step back in a lot of ways and yeah. kind of lets them like handle shit for themselves, like getting the fish on board and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a, a good moment of them kind of being given some uh, responsibility again. Yeah. Because that's kind of one of the biggest uh, issues or conflicts in the story is that they've become so uh, stagnant mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of let everything passive complacent passive that's Mm -hmm. a good example and so he's kind of giving them uh responsibility again so yeah and nurse archit isn't happy about this boating trip in the movie because it was an illegal boating trip (laughs) but in the book because you know mcmurphy is sort of rallying the men and getting them into more into control and they start kind of back talking her and not really listening um and following under her control anymore and this brings us to a discussion of Nurse, nurse Ratchet and another ism that sexism. we need to discuss. Sexism. Uh, yeah, so... Oh my God, where do we even begin? Because this isn't just... You know, the, 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 um, the racism issue was yeah. kind of like... It all happened at once at the beginning. Yeah. And wasn't as uh, significant as the sexism is in this story. Yeah, and... It's so tied to Nurse Ratched's character. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a part of her in the books. In the movie, I think they do a much better job of showing her as just this um, person who's in control and is in authority and has possibly let that authority go to her head a little bit. Yeah. and But ultimately seems to care but and is trying. does care and is doing her job, you know? 
Um, in the book, her character is so tied to sexism that it's impossible to pull one away from the other. Yeah. Um, the reason that she's a villain is because she's a woman. And the reason that she's a woman is like the reason that she's oppressing them. It's so, yeah, it's so complicated and terrible. <laughs> There's so many elements that feed into this. Uh, one of them being, uh, so they, they kind of make the case that, uh, a woman's sexuality, yeah. uh, inhibits her from being able to do a job yeah and that in order to have any kind of role of power or authority in a job or anywhere women become asexual in a way which is interesting because women has sort of struggled with this in the workforce a lot in the past and i think even still today you know if they're seen as too sexual or too much of a woman people don't take them seriously. Yeah. So women almost feel like they have to kind of shut that part of themselves down and to seem more professional or more masculine so that people will respect them. But then, of course, the flip side to that is that people get upset about you not being what they want a woman Mm -hmm. to be. So, you know, there's no winning in that situation at all. And it's really interesting because this story... It's so close, in fact, to being an interesting commentary on yeah, that. Yeah, it, it could be. It could have been, yeah. But, I mean, it's really tied into, in a negative aspect, Yeah, that her being a woman is is bad. And there's so many examples from the book. Yeah, and it's not even that, like, I don't think that women can be villains. No. Or that women can't, you know, be oppressive or, like, be have this power go to their head and stuff. But... When it, the reason that they're, you know, a terrible person is just because that they're a woman and that's it. You know, it's just like, okay. Yeah. And so this, one of the main stances is like they're being oppressed yeah. and their masculinity is being taken away from them. Yeah. And they're constantly, constantly referring to their balls being cut off. Yeah. That's like the main uh imagery or example they constantly bring up i can't up. even tell you how many times they mention their balls getting cut off <laughs> yeah like in both a uh metaphorical sense and, and a literal, literal sense. sense yeah so we were talking about the book one day and <laughs> i said i mentioned something about balls getting cut off and how they keep talking about it and ian was like oh no they haven't they haven't actually mentioned it in a while they sort of stopped and i was like ian we just read the part where a random character that we've never heard of before just literally cut his own balls off to, and and died like and an died. And that's when I realized how numb I had become. <laughs> to like, the ball I, metaphors. I was just filtering out as much as I could, like all this shit in this novel, to the point where I was like, "Oh my god, you're right. A character literally just did that." Yeah, and it's just it's so heavy-handed, and they're basically implying that a woman in control. Um, undermines the masculinity of anyone who's underneath her, which is a terrible mindset to have, like that women can't be in a position of power. And if they are, then you're not a man because you're letting her control you. Yeah. And there's a whole discussion in the story, in in the book about uh, they're living under a matriarchy. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Because the supervisor <sighs> is a woman and she's mm-hmm. friends with N- Nurse Ratchet. So Nurse Ratchet is not going to get fired and they're friends and so it's yeah and nurse ratchet has like a control over everyone yeah in the book mm-hmm. over the orderlies over the doctors the doctors the patients and like they said the supervisor's a woman so mm-hmm. she has uh kind of a, a connection with her so yeah and 
There are a lot of references to sexual violence as well. Um, mm. I mean, we, we did mention the statutory rape thing, which is a little like what's going on here. But um, they specifically talk about um, both McMurphy and another character, Harding, say like, well, you know, you can't hit a woman nowadays because, you know, that's illegal and the she'll police go, will get you. Yeah, yeah, she'll just go running she'll to the cops. She'll get you arrested and you can't talk to her because she'll like run mental circles around you or like, you know, talk back or something. So the only power you have over her is to screw her. Yeah, or rape her. Or rape her. And that's such a toxic and awful mindset to have that, you know, if you're a man and a woman is trying to control you, you can just rape her. Mm-hmm. And they they reference this a lot with Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, and they come back to it. Uh, later, they, they constantly refer back to oh, well, you know, we could always, you know, to Nurse Ratchet. And yeah. Like joking with uh, McMurphy about, mm-hmm. oh, if, if he could even get it up, that is. Yeah. Uh, and then, I don't think we mentioned this yet. Oh, uh, yeah. It's constantly talked about that Nurse Ratchet has large breasts. Uh-huh. And, but she's kind of like trying embarrassed to hide by it and like yeah. trying to hide it. So once again, like her trying to hide femininity. Yeah. And how that is a, a negative or a weakness mm-hmm. and how they're kind of like trying to expose that. Yeah. And McMurphy's like, Oh, you're trying to act like you're, you know, in charge and in control, but I know that your boobs are big. It's just like, okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> and why? <laughs> and there's another thing later where, and, and this goes back to, you know, we were talking about chief Bromden's perspective, possibly being skewed yeah. or incorrect. Even McMurphy's mm-hmm. could arguably be, he could be arguably crazy he could be. and and wrong. And, mm-hmm. and the book does kind of touch on that. But even um, one of the uh, nurses on the uh, disturbed ward, yeah. they there's a scene with her later where they're talking to her and she's talking about like, Oh, not everyone's ward is like nurse ratchets. And yeah. she says, you know, sometimes I think that, any nurse who's single over 35 should just be fired from their job if they have power. Yeah. So there's a, a level-headed, arguably, you know... Yeah, sane character. Sane character. Espousing the same idea that unless a woman is controlled partially by a man, she's just going to go off the rails and be evil and try to cut everyone's dicks off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So that kind of goes back to, is not just Chief Bromden's perspective no. or the opinions of these characters that are faulted. It's the whole narrative of this story. Yeah. And, you know, Nurse Ratchet isn't the only negatively portrayed female. There's a lot of other examples of this, uh, of this dominating woman character who has all this power and is basically undermining and cutting off balls of the men that Mm -hmm. surround her. One of them is Chief Bromden's own mother. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Chief Bromden's backstory is kind of about how uh, his tribe's land was being taken away by them from the government. Yeah. And how his dad didn't want to sign any deals with the government for a long time. And how his mom... Uh, like eventually like wore him down yeah like shamed and guilted him and kind of made him small yeah they talk about metaphorically physical size like representing like strength and masculinity and how he became small and little from over the years over the years Mm -hmm. Uh, and also when in a scene when the government uh, comes to uh, negotiate like the land Treaty, yeah. Uh, It's a woman who is in charge of the negotiation. And has the brilliant idea to try to, like, trick 
this Bromden's father into signing away his land. Yeah. Uh, another interesting character is Billy's mother, which we never really get to meet her or have any scenes with her, but she's just this domineering, mm-hmm. smothering, overprotective mother who has stunted Billy's growth and kept him from really becoming a man because she babies him and he has a stutter and he like isn't confident in himself. And it's because yeah. of her. And really the only uh, female characters in this story who are portrayed in a as, good light. As being yeah. positive are the prostitutes. There's <laughs> two of them in the story. Yeah. And so that could easily, you can easily make the connection that like, they're sexually available to available men. and mm-hmm. fulfilling men's sexual needs. So they're going to be portrayed in like a good light. And it's not just, uh, I don't know. There's this weird candy is almost a, uh, a man's ideal yeah. vision of a prostitute where she's like, uh, sweet, sweet and like kind of shy, but also a prostitute and seems like sincere and kind. Yeah. It's very weird. And you like forget the fact that she does this like for money. You know what I mean? Like in yeah. that situation, obviously she could put on any role if she was getting paid for it. But they do try to make her seem like she's this noble prostitute or the whore with the heart of gold. The, you yeah, know? That, that trope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's basically all the female characters in this story. Yeah. There's not very many and they all suck. They all <laughs> suck. They're all terrible. It was kind of exhausting because... You know, I was constantly, like, making notes when I was reading this, like, oh, here they are talking about women cutting off dudes' balls again or portraying <laughs> a woman in a negative light and talking about how she shouldn't be an authority, and it was depressing. Yeah, it's super depressing. <laughs> uh, and this kind of, this gets into what we feel is the biggest... The biggest problem of why this doesn't, the book doesn't work. Because if you're telling a story about people being oppressed by a system yeah uh you can't have the people of that system be women in black yeah i mean that's Especially just in the 60s. crazy yeah to to even entertain the possibility and you know I'm, some people have said it's a deliberate inversion trying to see like what they would be like in positions of power like to even imply that women and african-americans in the 1960s and honestly even today as well could be in control and oppress these white men. It's just, it's so ridiculous. And it makes the, it makes the main character seem like it's, it couldn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially in this book where you're clearly making this strong connection to this, not just being an example of how power structures can oppress people, but how like this is representative of America and the machine. And anti-authoritarianism. Yeah. And when you're making a story that's so heavily about that and then to depict everyone in power being bad as black or women. And And to say that they're the problem. Yeah, and then drawing attention to their femininity or their blackness blackness. or anything like that. It just... And we were talking about Ken Kesey. Yeah. We've watched interviews with him, and he just seems so and I don't like him. pretentious. He's a he was a fuckboy from the 1960s, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who was like, "We're all being oppressed by the system, man," without even recognizing his privilege. And to compare yourself 
as a white man, you know, who had an education, who had enough money to go to college and to and to drive a bus drive around a bus America. around America while he was tripping on LSD, you know, without acknowledging like the women and like what a character like Nurse Ratchet would even have to sacrifice to be in a position of power, and of course the the racist and prejudices of the time. It's just like. Poor Ken Kesey. Oh, my uh. God. And, and like, you know, it'd be one thing if it was just a book that had sexism or had racism. That'd Mm -hmm. still be rough. But, like, in this case, it, like, undermines the entire point of what the book's supposed to be about. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And also, sorry we're talking about the book so much. Yeah. As as opposed to the movie. (laughs) Uh, The movie is excellent it is and it's much better about showing these things but not hitting you over the head with these horrible symbolisms and like metaphors and nurse ratchet is in charge yes but it's not because she's a woman and she's not terrible because she's a woman you know and the orderlies are black yeah but but they're not even as abusive or angry in the as they are in the book and it's not attributed to them being black no it's just the nature of the job and the nature of the asylum and they you know they really make the villain in this yes is nurse ratchet in a way but it's also just like the hospital and the practices and you know the way that people treated you know anyone who had a mental illness Mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh the women (laughs) (laughs) and the government you know it was like yeah and (laughs) You know, the movie, it, it gives the audience credit that it's kind of a focused study on here is one example of a system of power and how people can be oppressed by that. Yeah. And it obviously, as the audience, you can uh, look at that and see it. You can make connections to like the real world and it doesn't have to beat you over the head with that connection. It's like, yeah, you can you can do this yourself. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. And so as the conflict between Nurse Ratchet and McMurphy continues, there's kind of this other skirmish that they have where in the movie, it's a really cool scene because it's, um, they're all in a group therapy setting. And then I forget what gets people all riled up, but they Uh, all get like really agitated. Their cigarettes are being rationed. Oh yeah. Because Mm -hmm. McMurphy loves playing cards Mm -hmm. and they're all betting their cigarettes uh, in card games. And he keeps winning their, <laughs> their cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> so Nurse Ratchet is keeping the, their cigarettes behind her desk in uh, the nurse's station. And Cheswick specifically starts getting really upset. And it's really sad because he's such a, he kind of like takes to McMurphy and follows yeah. him around like a puppy. And um, McMurphy is trying to get him to calm down because he knows it's going to be bad for him if, you know, the aides need to come in and subdue him. And it, it's this crazy scene. Like everyone's freaking out. Cheswick is like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. And then McMurphy kind of smashes through the glass of the nurse's station and grabs the cigarettes and gives it to Cheswick. Of course, at this time it's too late. The orderlies have come in. They're kind of pulling everyone apart. And this is where McMurphy starts to kind of defend Cheswick, and then he gets into a fight with the orderlies. Yeah, and then uh, the chief, when the orderly has McMurphy pinned down, Mm -hmm. like pulls the orderly off of him and just starts like crushing him in his arms. Yeah, it's this epic fight. So uh, McMurphy, Cheswick, and the chief 
all get sent up to the disturbed ward yeah. uh, to be administered electroshock therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to take one second to acknowledge how good Cheswick is in oh, this movie. Oh, he's so good. He, The actor who plays him is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He's so sympathetic. And he cares about McMurphy so much. Like, he looks up to him. And when they're pulling him away to get the electroshock therapy, he's, like, holding on to McMurphy yeah. and, like, won't let go of him. And it's just really sad. Yeah, he... he I, I don't know. He should have been nominated for supporting actor in that role if he yeah. wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the book, there's a similar incident in a shower yeah. where they're being like hosed down for one reason or another. Yeah. I, and McMurphy defends one of the other yeah, patients. Yeah. And gets into a fist fight that the mm-hmm. chief gets involved in. Uh, so they get the, he gets the electroshock therapy. Yeah. And the movie, it's very, uh, it's not graphic, but no, it's just a very. It's disturbing. It to is watch a disturbing it. scene, and to see that, and it's probably something that wasn't shown a lot on film. Mm-mm. And they, it is true that this this movie and the book kind of had this effect on the public, and it kind of turned opinion away from electroshock therapy as a method of treating mental illness and people were kind of shocked and horrified about it seeing it reading about it and definitely turned the tide of public opinion against this type of treatment yeah and honestly in an ultimate ultimately like in a negative way it had a side effect of people were being pulled out of mental hospitals a lot yeah. more and a lot of them ended up on the streets as homeless people yeah, and, and it's like electroshock therapy is probably not good in general, like putting electricity into your brain. But I think seeing that, people were horrified by it. They were horrified by the the movie and everything that happened. And so they kind of had this opinion that mental asylums were not good and they should just, everyone who was mentally ill should just come out and be free on the outside. Whereas they weren't getting the help. Sometimes they weren't getting the help they needed in that case. Yeah, and they were just kind of forgotten. Uh, so after the electroshock therapy, uh, the battle kind of continues, I guess, yeah. for control. And this leads us into the party scene. The party scene. So McMurphy's kind of ultimate play is to, he invites uh, Candy to the asylum mm-hmm. and her friend, who in the book is called Sandy. Candy and Sandy. Candy and Sandy. Uh, Luckily in the movie, they renamed her Rose, (laughs) thankfully. Yeah, but another prostitute to come into the Mm -hmm. ward and sort of uh, bring alcohol and kind of give one last hurrah to the the patients before McMurphy ultimately escapes. Yeah, because he's just had it. He's done with it. He wants to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it just kind of goes into a party scene. Yeah. That's pretty entertaining in Mm -hmm. in the book and the movie. They're just like, they're drinking cough syrup. Yeah. And they get the one, uh, the night. The night orderly. Yeah. Yeah. To They convince him to let these prostitutes in, Mm -hmm. basically, so he can sleep with one of them. Yeah. And he wakes up everyone on the ward and they just have a party. Mm -hmm. They go crazy. And... This leads to Billy... Uh, kind of going off with Candy. Yeah. In the movie, it's really interesting. The book, this was kind of like the purpose of the party in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, McMurphy brought Candy in so she could sleep with Billy. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the movie, they just came to party 
to let McMurphy out. And then Billy is sort of like, hey, (laughs) can you introduce me more to her slash let me sleep with her? (laughs) Yeah. Well, McMurphy kind of takes it upon himself to he's about to leave. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? We can spare a few minutes so Billy can uh, get laid. Yeah. (laughs) So they kind of they kind of force him to. He kind of doesn't want to. He runs away. It's more out of shyness because when the guys yeah. when the guys do bring him back to candy, he's obviously like kind of excited and by it. Wants to, yeah. So they put them in one of the rooms by mm-hmm. themselves, and uh, that's where everyone kind of falls asleep accidentally. <laughs> and they wake up in the morning to the orderlies and Nurse Ratchet coming in, mm-hmm. and this is kind of where the final <laughs> confrontation. confrontation. Mm-hmm. Jinx. Jinx. <laughs> yeah, she comes in. Everything's a wreck. People are on the floor. You know, there's bottles of alcohol. These prostitutes are here. And, you know, they're rounding everyone up and trying to make sure everyone's still there. And they realize Billy is missing. Mm-hmm. So then they go to look for Billy. And then he's discovered to be in this room with Candy. And so Nurse Ratchet, like, brings him out and is kind of publicly shaming him in front of everyone. Yeah. And he really, he's not ashamed by it at all. Yeah. He's kind of proud of it. The men are like cheering for him. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Uh, And this is where Nurse Ratchet kind of finally plays the card of, I I don't know what your mother is going to think about this. Yeah. And suddenly, and it's interesting because I wouldn't have noticed it unless I read it, Mm -hmm. but Billy's stuttering. Oh, yeah. Actually stopped in this scene Mm -hmm. between when he's discovered and talking to Nurse Ratchet. He's not stuttering, not stuttering like at, at all, all. Mm-hmm. and then as soon as she brings up his mom he starts again mm-hmm. and he kind of starts freaking out because nurse ratchet is like you know we're old friends i can't hide this from her and he he's like don't tell her they made me like i don't yeah. want you to tell her and she has billy taken to the doctor's office the so doctor's can, office yeah. mm-hmm. and he's freaking out he's like hitting himself in the movie it's a crazy scene yeah and it's really it's really uh, insightful because they show Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. in this scene kind of watching Billy. Yeah. And he's kind of... He's horrified. Yeah. You know? And I think possibly regretful about mm-hmm. everything, about kind of maybe forcing Billy to do this. Yeah. Because he's seeing how torn He's up. not handling it. And, yeah. and Billy has a, a, um, a history of being abusive and yeah. attempting suicide. And mm-hmm. you can see that as he's like hitting himself really hard. Mm-hmm. So they take Billy away uh, and... McMurphy is going to try to escape again. Yeah, because he still has keys. Uh So he unlocks the window again. And then you just hear this crazy commotion. People are screaming. And it's like he can't leave. He can't let them. He can't let the possibility of these men, something happening to them. Yeah. You know, which is like going back to that bond that he has with them. And so they all crowd into the doctor's office to see that uh, Billy has cut his own throat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really, it's a sad, it's a terrible scene. Mm-hmm. And Nurse Ratchet is, and, and things are still, like, things were crazy since she got there. Things yeah. are still crazy. Mm-hmm. She's getting all of the patients out of the room. Yeah, she's like, you know, get out, get out. And you can see that McMurphy is blaming her for what happened. Yeah. And it's interesting because the book and movie kind of play this out differently. Yeah. Where in the movie, in the moment, after seeing Billy McMurphy mm-hmm. just attacks Nurse Ratchet and yeah. grabs her by the throat and, and starts, starts choking, choking her, her. Mm-hmm. and like throws her to the ground and would have definitely killed her. If people hadn't have pulled him off if, and if knocked the, him out. Yeah, if the orderlies hadn't gotten to him first. Uh, the book plays out differently, though. Yeah. Uh, kind of starting at the Billy situation 
where Nurse Ratchet seems much more cold about it. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of like comes up to McMurphy and is like, I hope you're happy. Like, this is kind of your fault, basically. Yeah. And then walks away. And McMurphy doesn't immediately out of anger attack her. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, Bromden, who's narrating, describes it as he kind of wearily gets up. Like it's something he has to do. Yeah, it's something he has to take upon himself. And so he like wearily walks up and then grabs Nurse Ratchet and starts choking her. Yeah. And then tears open the front of her dress. Yeah, he does that first. He like tears oh, yeah. the front of her dress off completely and then starts choking her. And so it turns this scene of anger and reaction to this horrible thing that happened into a sexual assault. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's exposing her breasts for the men to see and to show who she really is. But, you know, he is sexually assaulting her. And the and book th- describes her in a very sexual, like, I, I don't know. not It's gross. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really scene. gross, weird mm-hmm. way that it's handled. Yeah, and I much prefer the movie because it's so much more immediate and you understand exactly what's happening. Yeah. You know, Nurse Ratchet is horrified about Billy and... McMurphy is also horrified, but immediately turns that like surprise and, and sadness into anger that he channels into just like choking Miss Ratchet and it, it works really well. Yeah, and, and the coldness that Nurse Ratchet displays in the book, it's it's one of the biggest, you know, differences because the movie, she's much more of a sympathetic character. Yeah. You know, she's trying to do her job. Yeah, she's maybe a little drunk on power, but mm-hmm. you do see she does seem to genuinely care. And 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 her and uh, McMurphy are just kind of these two opposing forces. Yeah. Neither of them in the right because they both played a part in Billy's death. Yeah. McMurphy forcing him into this uh, sexual interaction. That he maybe wasn't ready for. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Nurse Ratchet for shaming, shaming him about him. it. Yeah. So his reaction also could be seen as guilt mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, then you don't see McMurphy for a bit, and then you kind of find out that he's had a lobotomy because of his violent out- outburst. Yeah, he disappears for a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and then one one night he's wheeled back into uh, the ward. Yeah, and he's just non-responsive. Mm-hmm. And and the chief is like, "I was waiting for you to get back. You know, we're gonna like escape together." At this point, the chief has started talking again to mm-hmm. to McMurphy and lets him know that he's not really deaf and dumb, and they can like escape together. And he realizes what happened to McMurphy. And he kind of is like, I can't leave you like this. And I can't let the other patients know what happened to you. Because it would almost like ruin what the symbol that you became to be. So he smothers him with a pillow. Yep. <laughs> he he takes him out. And then he proceeds to, in the movie, Yeah. it was established that uh, Jack Nicholson had this plan. I'm sorry I keep calling him Jack Nicholson. It just comes out. Yeah. But he wanted to lift this huge hydrotherapy device yeah. from the bathroom and throw it through the window. So he could escape. So he could mm-hmm. escape, and he wasn't able to. He wasn't strong enough to lift it. Mm-hmm. So in this sequence, Chief Bromden walks Lifts over it. to mm-hmm. it, and he manages to lift it and throw it out through the window. And he escapes. And he escapes, and that's how he leaves. And mm-hmm. it's similar in the... Uh, in the book except instead of the hydrotherapy thing it's this weird uh lever control device oh that's kind of a heavy-handed metaphor for him lifting the machine of the machine of society (laughs) bullshit (laughs) yeah it's cool though because like you know he throws it out 
And then he kind of runs out of the war and escapes. And the opening shot of the movie and the closing shot are very similar, where it's just this wide shot of like nature and the the trees in this field Mm -hmm. so you know he's kind of returning to and this beautiful kind of eerie music that's kind of native american like with flutes and stuff but Mm -hmm. it's it's a really beautiful way to open and close the movie so i mean i don't even think we need to ask now which you guys know which one we think is better Obviously, the movie. It's the movie, <laughs> and I'm glad we have a movie that's better after like two. I know or three weeks we of had so lo- so many times where it was the book, but I completely agree. And you know, and I think it comes down to what works better for a story and what work- works better visually. And it this story and this plot and these characters work so much better um, seeing them and seeing what happens and leaving out all the crazy paranoid sexist racist bullshit of the book and just kind of keeping that story which the story is interesting and it's a good it's a good story and it's they're good characters they're just bogged down in all of this uh heavy-handed messages about society and it's just like come on yeah and the main message is good when you remove the bullshit masculinity aspect from it when it's just like giving these guys some some meaning in their life yeah yeah yeah, and kind of returning that to them a little bit yeah uh but yeah the the movie or the book just had so many levels and it's amazing because the movie is actually a very in ways a very accurate yeah it um, is adaptation from the book like a lot of lines are lifted from it Mm -hmm. almost all the events from the fishing trip to the baseball game Mm -hmm. uh but it's just removing all of the right all of the bullshit all of the bullshit (laughs) elements from the book yeah uh this is one of those cases where i would not recommend the book to anyone really (laughs) um (laughs) and it's just like uh we read this book so you don't have to (laughs) like definitely just go see the movie if you haven't because it's great jack nicholson is great nurse ratchet is great cheswick is great we love it you know it's awesome yeah and it's got a lot of familiar faces obviously jack nicholson but danny devito is one of the patients Mm -hmm. i can't or not remember uh doc from back to the future oh yeah i don't remember his name (sighs) christopher lloyd yes yes yeah he's in it he's great uh, there's just a lot of great, great performances. Like we said, mm-hmm. the guy who plays Cheswick is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, definitely check out the movie. And even though it's from 1975, it is, it is aged really well. It has. It, it's still relevant. Mm-hmm. It's not dated. And it's still funny, enjoyable, yeah. good message, you know, enjoyable. Very, very good. Yeah. Let's do the lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. So first thing on the lightning round we want to talk about. <laughs> Uh, is an amazing scene where in the movie uh, Jack Nicholson and Chief Bromden are sitting next to each other waiting for their shock therapy. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson gives uh, Chief Bromden a piece of juicy fruit. He Mm -hmm. just hands it to him. And it's the first time that Chief Bromden says anything and he just kind of mumbles. He's like, thank you. (laughs) And the look Jack Nicholson gives him at realizing he can talk. And then he just carefully just hands him another piece yeah. and waits and it doesn't seem like he's going to say anything and then he's just like I like juicy fruit <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's so happy that yeah. he's been like tricking the uh, asylum for so long that he's deaf and dumb yeah because Jack Nicholson's whole thing is fighting this kind of establishment and that someone could like fool everyone for this long is 
Nicholson just sells it so well in his performance. I love it. There's also a really great scene in the movie where they're playing basketball together. And this involves Chief Bromden and McMurphy and like some of the patients. And he's trying to teach Chief Bromden, even though he thinks he's deaf and dumb, to like put the uh, basketball in the basket. And it's this (laughs) madcap scene where they're playing against the orderlies and uh, he gets Chief Bromden to just put it in the basket and everyone's cheering and then he gets Chief Bromden to go over and keep the uh, orderlies from getting their ball into the basket on the other side. It's really great. And Bromden just has this like swagger as he walks from like one end of the court to the other. It's an amazing scene. Uh, Another scene, it's it's really just one joke, but it's interesting because uh, in the book, the character of Harding Mm -hmm. was much more prominent. Yeah. Uh, He was kind of the one person... Uh, McMurphy talked to a lot Mm -hmm. in the movie though his role has been reduced a lot yeah and their main interaction is that McMurphy just is constantly giving Harding shit like all the time (laughs) and so in the movie when they get on this boat uh to take it Mm -hmm. he lies to this one boat captain about who they are and he's like oh we're all from the insane asylum uh this is Dr. Martini Dr. uh, Cheswick Dr. Cheswick uh, Mr. Harding, <laughs> and he's the only gives one he calls Mr. And like Harding just gives him this look that's so funny. It's, it's a great moment. Okay, another interesting thing um, is that the movie was filmed in an insane asylum, and a lot of the extras were actual patients from this asylum. And it actually, the doctor that interviews McMurphy and is featured throughout the movie is an, a real doctor on this ward. So that's kind of funny. Yeah, it gave it a sense of, sense of realism that a lot of the actors were like actually kind of disturbed yeah. by a little bit. Uh, Okay, so the book, um, a lot of the descriptions of McMurphy yeah. uh, by Brown Over manliness. Over manly, very kind of like almost homoerotic. Yeah. And at one point, Chief Bromden just talks about like McMurphy's smell. Yeah. And how the, sm- the smell of the hospital was so sterile and uh-huh. clean and like kind of nothing. But like McMurphy smelled of like sweat and hard labor and manliness. <laughs> it's, it's just like, what? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's another part too where uh, McMurphy just like walks around the ward in his boxer shorts and they have white whales on them. And so it's like this weird allusion to Moby Dick and the white whale and this symbol of sexuality. It's just ridiculous. They're constantly talking about his white whale. It- is it the only pair of underwear he owns? Probably. Because they're constantly talking about that one pair. Um, so this is something I wanted to mention because it's so great. Uh, Danny DeVito has obviously had a great career after this movie. Yeah. And has had a lot of success with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's a fan of this show, you might remember this. There's one of the episodes ends with Danny DeVito waking up in an insane asylum. <laughs> and he gets... he. he finds a large uh, Native American man and gets him to like lift a uh, water fountain, a water fountain and throw yeah. it through the window so he can escape. And they're playing the exact music <laughs> from that ending in Cuckoo's Nest. And apparently the uh, large Native American man was the son of the actor who played Chief Bromden oh my in the God. movie. <laughs> so it was this great, like, I don't know, great to see Danny DeVito kind of return to this role. Yeah. Not the role, but like that movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that pretty much wraps it up for the lightning round and yeah. for our discussion. Not going to lie, I'm probably going to be really happy to talk and think about something else. <laughs> we can finally move on with we our lives. We can move on. This is like consumed our conversations and 
hopefully our next episode will be a little lighter. Yeah, yeah, I think it will be. <laughs> Less terrible. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening. Um, if you like our podcast, please just leave us a rating on iTunes. Just it helps us out a lot. Even just a star rating is mm-hmm. super helpful. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Cover2Credits. That's the number two. Uh, our email is CoverToCreditsPod at gmail.com. Send us suggestions for episodes, yeah. what you thought of uh, books or adaptations we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you. And uh, find us on Facebook as well yep. and interact with us on there. Uh, thanks for Actual Size and Bob Kiernan for providing our sound equipment. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.